that we need to understand. And, and don't think that Leviathan doesn't exist. Leviathan exists today. Uh, he's uh, he's probably from the like, like behemoth, probably an extinct animal from from the point of view of uh, the animal that must have been at one time. Because you know these things are not God is not using spirit. The uh, he's using the things that are made to tell us about the spiritual world, and there really was a behemoth. And there really was a, a, a creature called Leviathan. Behemoth was a land animal. Leviathan is a sea creature. And these creatures are being used to teach us lessons. So let's read the verses here. Verses 1 through 10. And uh, see what the Lord has for us today. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook? Or his tongue with a cord which you let down? Can you put a hook into his nose? Or bore his jaw through with a thorn? <clears throat> Will he make many supplications unto you? Will he speak soft words to you? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him for a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you bind him for your maidens? Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with barbed irons, or his head with fish spears? Lay your hand upon him, remember the battle, do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? <coughs> now that's God's questions and his instructions to you and me through Job. Job, who has just lost everything that he owns, been stricken with boils from head to toe, and then sent false accusers to tell him that he must be a terrible sinner just to be in the condition he's in. I mean, it's the lowest of the low, and yet God is using it all to tell us something. Now, in our study, last last week we were being told about behemoth. The behemoth that's, you know, if we're getting anything out of this, within us. Uh, verse four, uh, 19 of chapter 40 told us, He is the chief of God's ways. He that made him can make his sword approach to it. Just like he's saying here behemoth, of, of Leviathan. We can't, God can. That's the message. He that made him can make his sword approach unto him is all contrasted with Job's and our inability to save ourselves, as the Lord made so clear to us in uh, that chapter, 40th chapter. He says, Have you an arm like God, or can you thunder with a voice like him? Deck yourself now with majesty and excellency, and array yourself with glory and beauty. <coughs> Excuse me. Cast abroad the rage of your wrath. And behold, everyone that is proud, and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud, and bring him low, and tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together, and bind their faces in secret. Then will I confess to you that your own right hand can save you. In other words, it ain't going to happen. That's just the message God is giving us through both Behemoth and Leviathan. 
God's point to us through his fiery words to Job is being made in words which were graphic and clear in that day. <clears throat> At that time, Behemoth was a beast with a tail like a cedar, five times the size of the largest elephants of today, and it was still alive on the earth and had never been harnessed by any man. And the point the Lord is making is that we're dealing with powers which are far greater than we have any ability to control. But he that made him, Behemoth, can make his sword approach to him. That means there are things which are controlled by our maker that aren't controlled by us. I'm told the behemoth, the largest land-dwelling animal that ever lived, was made with mankind. Behold now, behemoth, which I made with you. That's verse 15 of Job 40. So behemoth is a beast which was created on the sixth day. He's beyond man's ability to harness or to put a bit in his mouth, and yet he's uh, not carnivorous, so he's at home with beasts of every sort. It was like a huge elephant coming to a watering hole with lions and crocodiles. Even the elephants young are safe among all these other uh, carnivores because they fear that little animal's parents. Nature photographers have filmed young elephants and young hippos walking among huge crocodiles that would normally just kill the little things and eat them right on the spot. And they'll nudge up against these crocodiles, and the crocodiles will actually get out of the way for the little bitty ones, oblivious, the, 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 the babies oblivious to the dangers that they would be in if their parents weren't so near. But these same photographers have also filmed a young hippo being devoured by crocodiles when it strays too far from its mother. Now that's the life of a beast, and that's what you and I are. You know, we've been over it many times. Uh, Ecclesiastes 3.18 I will ask God to reveal to man and manifest to him that he himself is a beast. We're just dog-eat-dog beasts. And the survival of the young depends upon the proximity of his parents. If it strays away from its parents, it's devoured by the carnivores, which are always there. And Satan is a carnivore. Dust means meat. When God gave the, the serpent the dust, he was giving him the meat our flesh. So the point God is making is that men cannot control what God can control. And God is controlling. So that he's working everything after the counsel of his own will. Now in this 41st chapter of uh, Job, we're dealing with, an, with another, even more powerful beast than Behemoth. Leviathan's a sea creature. This means that he was created on the fifth day, and that's significant because it tells us we're actually being told something about the spirit world, even though he's giving us a physical example. Because the spirit world was created on the sixth, uh, the fifth day, not the sixth day. It was created before man, so that God could ask Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world and the sons of God? And that God, being the father of spirits, as we're told, shouted for joy. So that's that's what the fifth day happened. Now, now let's read what God says here in Genesis one twenty. God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly. This is where Leviathan lives. Uh, bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament heaven. Both of those are types of the spirit world. Both of them. And God created great whales. Bad translation as we will see. It's actually great uh, 
monsters, great dragons is what it is, and every living creature that moves, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind, and God saw it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the fowl fly in the, uh, multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. So this beast that we're studying today is even stronger than Behemoth, uh, and scoping of his power, and this beast does not live on land, and is pictured as the zenith of that which mankind is incapable of doing more. This creature is called Leviathan, and the Lord warns us of the strength of this creature, against which we have no power at all of ourselves. Serpents do not eat dust, and this is a sea serpent, a sea dragon. But we, in type, are all actually the dust which is given to the serpent for his uh, food. Genesis 3, verse 14, The Lord said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you're cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly shall you go, and you shall eat, and dust shall you eat all the days of your life. Now, the belly represents our carnal desires, and Satan travels and is given strength and and, uh, energy through us being driven by our carnal desires. And he's been given us for lunch. We are his nourishment. When he devours us, as he does every day, devouring the flesh, he is nourished by that. Just as God is nourished when we die to the flesh. Now just as the dry land is made to come up out of the deep seas... So we are told the beast rises up out of the deep sea. Revelation 13.1 I stood on the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns. And upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Now we'll see that that dragon has seven heads and ten horns also. So there's a very close connection between the dragon and behemoth which is the beast within us, on the dry land. Now, just as there's a symbiotic relationship between the death of the first Adam and the birth of the last Adam, so there's a symbiotic relationship between the dry land and the sea, between the creatures of both. Now, we have a New Testament parallel to Behemoth, and that is, of course, the dragon and the beast which we'll discuss after we've been made aware of the strength of this creature, whose powers are beyond the power of behemoth. We should have a much deeper appreciation of the fact that we are told that the beast of Revelation 13 rises up out of the sea after this study. There's a very strong connection to our behemoth beast, which is at home in the waters and on the dry land, and Leviathan, who is a creature which lives exclusively in the realm beyond our influence, that is in the sea. Now the first question the Lord asks us through Job indicates just how helpless we are against the power of this creature. Whatever Leviathan is, we are powerless against him. And of course we know that this is just a physical thing telling us, talking about a spiritual reality. He says, can you cast a draw out Leviathan with a hook or his tongue with a cord? 
which you let down? Well, you know, the answer obviously is no. Can you put a hook in his nose or bore his jaw through with a thorn? When we, as Job did, think that we're able of ourselves to instruct God, we're demonstrating just how little we know about the realm of the Spirit. If we cannot even control Leviathan, what would lead us to think we can instruct and direct Leviathan's maker? Now this word Leviathan is a contraction of two words, Levi and Than. Tani, it's the same root. Here's Strong's definition. Leviathan. And he says it comes from the, the number is 3882, and it comes from 3867. That's, that's what Strong's is telling us. It comes from 3867, which he defines as a wreathed animal, a serpent. And they stick crocodile in there because they can't think of anything else that, that would uh, fit, fill the bill here. But a crocodile doesn't begin to fill the bill for either... Behemoth or Leviathan. It's, it's absurd to read those descriptions that were given and uh, draw from that, that 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 it's a crocodile or an elephant or a, or, or a, a, what's that? Whale? Not a whale, but a, well, even a whale, yes. And the whale's not a serpent. But the uh, the other big land animal, hippopotamus. Just, just doesn't fill the bill. You know, none of those things have a tail like a cedar. Whereas these huge beasts that used to be on the earth had had tails just exactly like that. So, when we look at 3867, we find that it's a primitive root. Now, that's always good to see because it tells you what the thought really is. And it's defined to properly to twine. That is, by implication, to unite, to bring in union. And uh, and they use the word translated as borrow or borrower, cleave, join together, join to self, lend. And these are all words that are used and, and properly translated. So, you know, you go read the uh, entries on it and they're properly translated. But they all have the concept of being united. A lender and a borrower are united in a contract of some kind. If we borrow from another or if we lend to another, we're entwined with and united with that person in some sense of obligation. This is true both in a positive and a negative sense. And we're told to lend expecting nothing in return by Christ. But we're also told that the borrower will be the servant of the lender. Let's look at just a couple of verses to make that point. Uh, so we'll begin to get a, an idea of what God is telling us about Leviathan. Deuteronomy 15 verse 6. The Lord your God blessed you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. And you shall reign over many nations, but they will not reign over you. Well, that's what God has promised us. In Proverbs 22, verse 7, he tells us the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is the servant to the lender. That's as true spiritually as it is 
physically. Physically, the rich rule. The world is being run by the rich at the expense of the poor. And spiritually, you and I are made spiritually rich at the expense of the poor. As uh, Romans uh, 11 makes so clear. We believe through their unbelief. Now the way the way this word is used demonstrates that it means that there is very close relationship between two people or two things. In the case of Leviathan, it happens to be the closeness of his impenetrable scales. This is not going to, these verses are going to be in next week's study, but here's what it says. It says, his scales are his pride, shut up together as close, with a close seal. One is so near the other that no air can come between them. That's, that's his pride, or his scales. Now the last half of this word comes from the first part of the Hebrew word, dragon, thanin, leviathan. Here's what Gill's commentary reveals about the, this name, Leviathan. Leviathan is a compound word of the Hebrew word than, the first syllable of thanin. Remember, either rendered either whale or a dragon or a serpent. And of the Hebrew, Hebrew word levi, which signifies conjunction from the close joining of his scales. The patriarch uh, Levi has his name from the same word. Now, I'm going to read Genesis 29, verse 34, where he, Gil points out Levi gets his name. Just give us a feel for what this word is meaning. This is speaking about Leah, Jacob's wife that he got by accident, so to speak, his first wife, when his uncle deceived him and gave him Leah instead of Rachel, whom he had worked seven years for. Leah conceived and bare a son and said, Now this time my husband will be joined uh, unto me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore she was his name called Levi. Now, Leah was not the, the loved, the beloved wife like uh, Rachel was, and so she, she was in, in a bad spot, and she thought by having given Joseph three sons, Joseph, Jacob three sons, that he would feel, you know, he would appreciate that and be drawn to her. So she named Levi, Levi, meaning her husband would be joined to her. Now the Hebrew word, Levi, it's translated Leviathan, is found in the Old Testament a total of six times. Now here are all of those entries. Uh, the first one is in Job 38, 3, verse 8. The next one is Job 41, 1. Then we have one in Psalms 74, one in Psalms 104, and then in Isaiah 27. So we're going to look at those. In five of those six entries, the word is translated as Leviathan. And in one, it's translated as Morning. Now, to understand what God is telling us, we need to look at these entries and ask our Heavenly Father to open our eyes to what He's conveying to us. The first time the word appears is in Job 3.8. This is the only time it's translated as morning. 
So let's look at it and see why in the world they would translate it morning here. I want to read uh, verse 7 and 8. This is the chapter in which Job is cursing the day he was born. And he says, Lo, let the night, the night of Job's birth, be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them which curse it, let them curse it that curse the day, who are ready to raise up their morning. Now this is the chapter where Job uh, is cursing his, his birth right after, immediately after losing his family and all of his possessions, and then being stricken with boils from his head to his feet. All of this has taken place. And uh, he says, their mourning is their Leviathan. That's the word he uses. The word is Leviathan. So he's actually saying, let them raise up their union. And the word mourning is actually just understood. The word is Leviathan. But he is talking about mourning, this, the birth of, of this child. And he's, he's saying, what he's saying is he wished he had died when he was born. <clears throat> And they could just raise up their mourning over this child being born dead. That's the message. That's why that word Leviathan happens to be there. Let them raise up their union, their united grief. The next entry, entry is the chapter we're reading, Job 41, which we just read. You know, And he just says, can you drop Leviathan with a hook? And the next entry is Psalm 74, verse 13. Let's read that and see if we can learn something here. Verse, verse, it's in verse 14, but we're going to read verse 13 too. You did divide the sea by your strength. You break the heads of the dragons in the water. You break the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Now, whatever the dragons are, it's got a lot in common with Leviathan because... He's breaking the heads of both. And that's just so typical of the way the Bible is written, especially in the Old Testament, where two things are said. I mean, one thing is said twice. Making the same message, just saying it twice. Happens time and time again. And like Joseph told the Pharaoh, the dream is one. You know, whether it's the corn or the cows, the dream is one. And that's what's happening right here in these two verses. You did divide the sea by your strength. You break the heads of the dragons in the waters. You break the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Now, that was done uh, in the Bible, and we're going to see where. But the, the, the word thani is the word that, that appears in uh, verse 13 there for, for dragon. The last half of the word Leviathan is the word translated dragon in verse 13. And uh, that word appears in the Old Testament 27 times. And 15 of those 27 is the singular. Six is... Uh, no, 15 is the plural and six is the singular. So 21 times of the 27 is translated dragon. Two times is translated serpent. One monster and then one serpents, plural. And then two times 
it's mistakenly translated as whale, and that's in Exodus. Uh, let's see. No. Job 7.12 and Genesis 1.21. I'm not going to read those entries, but uh, the, because it's so clear that it should have been translated dragon. So, dragon or serpent are the way it should be. And, and then that's the Lord's description of Levi Leviathan. It has nothing to do with a whale, which is not a serpent with scales, nor is a whale a dragon. Now, verse 14 of Psalm 74 says, You break the heads of Leviathan in pieces and gave him to be meat to the people inhabiting the wilderness. Now, when did that happen? Well, it was Joshua speaking to the people inhabiting the wilderness who spake these very words to those people. Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephuni, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. This is at the time when the twelve men were sent to spy out the land and the ten of them came back and said, Huh. We can't do it. You know, in effect, the Leviathan and Behemoth are up there, and we don't stand a snowball's chance inhabiting this land. Why? We're grasshoppers in their sight. That was that was the, the uh, that was the atmosphere in which they're speaking here. The people had said, "Let's stone these guys." These two right here, Joshua and Caleb. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, "The land which we pass through." To search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. These are the people in the wilderness who are being given Leviathan for food. So... Yes, the Lord can and does do that. The point the Lord is making with Job is that without Christ, Job and we are helpless against Leviathan. Those ten men were just acting naturally. And Job, I mean, and, and uh, Joshua and Caleb were acting in faith. Look, the Lord didn't bring us out of Egypt, bring us through the Red Sea, bring us through the wilderness. Just to let us die. We can do this. He can do it through us. That's the lesson for you and me. With Christ we can do all things. Including making Leviathan and his children. Meet to the people inhabiting the wilderness. It's by fighting against the people of the land. That God breaks the heads of Leviathan. And gives him to be meat to the people in the wilderness. Who have been called out of Babylon. Which is spiritual Sodom and Egypt. Of ourselves, we're completely helpless against the people of the land. Because the people of the land are the old man. The sons of their father, the devil, by birth. It's only Christ in us who, by fighting against them, strengthens that new man so we can honestly say that they are bred for us. Look at Rome, uh, Revelation 11, verses uh, 8 and Revelation 12, verse 9. Their dead bodies lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Sodom and Egypt are what we are fighting against. The great uh, verse tw uh, nine of chapter twelve: the great red dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So, whatever this Leviathan is, he's a type of Satan, a type of the devil, which deceives the whole earth. 
He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, the next entry for the word uh, Leviathan is in Psalms 104, verse 26. Here's uh, that verse with the preceding two verses to give us a sense of who Leviathan is and where Leviathan dwells. Psalm 104, verses 24, 25, and 26. O Lord, how manifold are your works, and wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your riches. So is this great and wide sea, wherein are things creeping, innumerable, both small and great beasts. There go ships. There is Leviathan, whom you have made to play therein. So man gets in ships and goes out into the sea. Man is not a sea creature, he's a land creature. And when he does go into the, to the sea, venture into it, he has to be in a ship. This great and wide sea is often used as a type of this world within us, with all of its many beasts which rule us. Well, that's just the way the scriptures use the sea. Here's the same type, the sea, in Psalms 107. I'm going to read verses 23 through 31. We read them many times, and this is just another time it needs to be read. They that go down to the sea in ships do great business, do business in great waters. These see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves thereof, the waves of the sea. They mount up to heaven, they go down again. To the depths. <clears throat> Their soul is melted because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wits' end. Then they, that's you and me, cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He makes the, sto- he makes the storm cal- calm so that the waves thereof are still. Look at that, verse 25, he commands and raises the stormy wind, then he makes it calm. He creates good and he creates evil. Then they are glad because they be quiet, so he brings them into their desired haven. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Throughout scripture, in the Old and the New Testament, the waves of the sea are used of the Holy Spirit to typify the storms of life. Christ calmed the winds and the waves of the sea. He's promised to make us fishers of men. We're told that our beast rises up out of the sea. All this lets us know that when the Lord is speaking of Leviathan, it's to let us know that we're up against much more than we of ourselves are able to control or overcome. Only he can handle this particular creature. We're actually up against the very power he had just unleashed upon Job. We're up against Satan himself and all of his angels. But Job doesn't know that. We don't. We're not aware of it while it's taking place. Okay, the last entry in scripture of this word Leviathan is Isaiah 27, verse 1. But we must read the verses preceding this verse to get the message the Lord has given us concerning Leviathan. The subject under discussion here is the resurrection of the dead. It's at the resurrection of the dead that Leviathan is finally defeated and fed to us. Isaiah 26, verses 19 through 21. Your dead men shall live. Together with my dead body shall they arise. 
But wake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust. For your dew is as the dew of the herbs, and the earth will cast out the dead. Come, my people, enter into your chambers and shut your doors about you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation be overpassed. For the Lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth also shall disclose, disclose her blood and uh, shall no more cover her sin. Those who hide themselves, as it were for a moment, until the indignation is overpassed, are only those who, like Joe, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and all the God's prophets, have already endured God's wrath upon the old man within them, at the hands of those who become food for them. God uses the unbelief of others as his sword against our own flesh. Here's how he, re- he reveals this to us. This is Romans 11, verse 30. For as you in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, so it is at the resurrection of the dead. Both when we're redeemed now, you know, we're said to be buried with Christ in baptism and raised with him in newness of life. It's true now, in down payment form, as well as in the redemption of the purchased possession. That is the actual resurrection itself. That Leviathan is destroyed and made to be food for us. It's in this context that we read our last entry for this word Leviathan. In that day, the Lord, this is Isaiah 27 verse 1. In that day, the Lord with his sore and great strong sword shall punish Leviathan, the piercing serpent, serpent, even Leviathan, that crooked serpent, and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Now that's, I, I went back and read the last couple of verses of chapter 26 to give you the fact that this is all said in the context of the resurrection. You don't get that because that chapter break is right there. You need to know it. That day being the day my dead body shall rise. It's the day of the redemption of the purchased possession. The day of the resurrection of the dead. When the destruction of the devil begins. Now, I'm going to give you a couple verses here to back that all up. In whom Christ, is who it's talking about, you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The good news of your salvation is the cross. The cross is the good news. In whom after also, also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Which is the earnest the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession under the praise of his glory. So we have Satan's Leviathan's head fed to us now in down payment form and we will have the actual thing at the redemption of the purchased possession. And then Hebrews 2.14 For as much then, and we read this earlier, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. So Christ's death and resurrection empowers him to destroy death. And to do that, he has to destroy the devil, Leviathan, that old serpent who is in the sea, which is all within us. Now here is what we need to realize about the power which, which, we, which has been granted Leviathan over the flesh. The flesh of us. 
all of us until Christ comes to dwell within us. Romans 7, verses 7 through, uh, 17 through 25. Now then, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, and here it is the second time, verse 17, verse 20. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my member, in my members. Remember he said up there earlier, in me, that is in my members, no good thing. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Which James says is put there by the lawgiver. The only lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Now, when Paul sees this, when you and I come to see it, we cry out and say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And the answer is, verse 25, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So we're in the flesh. We have no power against it. What Paul calls this, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is contrasted with the law of sin and death, the power which is given to the adversary. Now this is the very next chapter in the, just two verses away. It says, The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. He's in captivity to the law of sin in his members, but the law of the spirit of life enters in and makes us free from it. Ephesians 6.12 For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, it appears like we are, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Not knowing that is the very meaning of the beast sitting on the throne of God, claiming to be God, and thinking he's running the show. When we think we're running the show, we're actually just God, God's servants for evil. That's all we are. When we think we're running the show, like Joseph's brothers. They thought they were going to do away with Joseph. Ended up just putting Joseph right in a position to make them bow down and worship him, or at his feet, as he said in the dreams. That's the way we are in the hands of God. When we're sinning, thinking we're doing our own thing, we're actually just playing right into God's plan because he's working it all. Hebrews 2.14, For as much as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself took part of the same, not some different flesh and blood, the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And that's another example of how everything just played right into God's hand because God was the one, according to uh, Acts 4, verse 28, who saw fit to crucify Christ. They did what his hand and his foreknowledge determined before to be done. Many are those who think they wrestle only against their own flesh and blood. Many deny there is any struggle involved. 
and uh, in such a state, we're devoured by Leviathan and are swallowed up by the earth, which are both being uh, types and shadows of total darkness and spiritual death into which such unsuspecting brothers have fallen and now dwell. Revelation 16 <coughs> gives us <coughs> a type of that. Revelation 16, verse 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seed of the beast. And his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain. That's where this brings us to. Now, that doesn't mean that the people who are running the world right now are right at this moment in pain. But that's where they are headed. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores and repented not of their deeds. Job is a perfect example of that. And he doesn't even realize that he's blaspheming God. And that's you and me. That's, that's, it. that's us. Job knows God is sovereign when he's writing the book. But he obviously had no idea of that sovereignty until he had been through his experience because he actually thought he could somehow reason with God and show God that he needed to change his wicked ways and do things the way Job wanted them done. So, God is going about destroying that old Job and all of us. God's revelation concerning Leviathan demonstrates that Job had no idea that God was using Satan as God's hand to bring all this evil upon Job, who is a type of us. Job, in that capacity, thought he could show God how mistaken he was in treating Job as his enemy. And that's what Job calls, tells us in uh, chapter 16, verse 9. He tears me, speaking of God, with his wrath, he hate, who hates me. He gnashes upon me with his teeth, and my enemy sharpens his eyes upon me. You say, well, God wasn't Job's Yes, God is Job's the old Job's enemy, and he's the, old in, uh, the enemy of the old man and all of us. Don't think otherwise. You don't know what's being said or done. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. All these things happen to them for examples, and they're written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. And 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. All the Lord has to do is turn, in, turn us over to him, and, and we're, we're helpless. And that's what the book of Job reveals to us. So our Lord instructs us concerning this great sea serpent. Job 41 verse 3. Will he make many supplications to you? Will he speak soft words to you? Leviathan is a merciless slave master seeking only whom he may devour. He will spiritually starve us to death, bring us to eating with swine, and laugh in our faces. Look at Luke 15 verses 14 through 17. This is, a, this is when we are turned over to Leviathan. And when he has spent all, this is the prodigal son, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. That's just telling us what happens to us when we think we can make a covenant with uh, the devil. And he went and joined himself to a citizen in that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Well, that's what a citizen of the world does. And he would fain have filled his belly with husks that the swine eat and no man gave unto him and when he came to himself he said 
how many hired servants of my father's house, of my father's, have uh, bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. A husk of the fine swine eat is that to which the Holy Spirit likens the lies of Leviathan. One of his very <clears throat> effective lies is that he doesn't even exist, or that Satan is nothing more than our own flesh. When we deny that there's a dark side of the cloud, it's just a matter of time till we deny that there's a bright side of the cloud. We end up just denying that Christ even exists. And we find that we've lost all faith and begin to condemn our own maker. If we repent and return to our Heavenly Fathers, He'll rush back to us and receive us. Because He, as He says here, as we're going to read, we are His Son who was dead, His lost sheep, His prodigal son. So let's continue this 15th chapter of Luke. When He came to Himself, the prodigal son, He said, How many hired servants of my father's have uh, bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, while we were yet sinners, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell upon his neck. And kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring the bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring here the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and he's found. And they began to, to be merry. Now, Leviathan has no such compassion. He's not interested in saving. His sole purpose is our destruction. He's been given the power of death. God wants us to know that there is a realm of the Spirit intent upon our destruction with which we are contending and over which we have no power of ourselves. When we finally come to understand this truth, we cry out with the Apostle Paul, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? He that has the power of death, the devil. I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with a mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the laws of sin. The Lord doesn't ask questions which are not relevant to our human condition, so he poses this question for us. Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him for a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you bind him for maidens? We're all tempted to do just that. We're all tempted to make a covenant with him who has the power of death. If we could, as if we could escape death. Now this is who we are. This is Isaiah 28. Right after telling us that the word is written to snare us. You know, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's verses 9, 10, and 11, and 12. They're just before this verse here. Wherefore then, hear the word of the Lord, you scornful men that rule this people in Jerusalem. Because you have said we've made a covenant with death, and with hell we are in agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come near us, for we have made the, the rapture our refuge. Made lies our refuge. And under falsehood have we hid ourselves. Therefore, 
Thus says the Lord, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation stone, a tried stone, a precious stone, cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believes shall not make haste. Now, that precious cornerstone is the word of God. And it tells us the opposite of what our lies tell us. Judgment will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. And the hail, the word of God, shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. And your covenant with death will be disannulled, and your agreement with hell will not stand. When the overflowing scourge pass through, then you will be trodden down by it. From the time that it goes forth, it shall take you. From morning by morning shall it pass over, by day and by night. And it shall be a vexation only to understand the report. That's a very good description of how Job felt as the report was coming in one right after the other. For the bed is shorter than a man can stretch himself on it and the covering narrower than he can wrap himself in it. There is no comforting when you're under the influence of Leviathan. Under the influence of your flesh. It's one and the same. They worship the dragon and they worship the beast because they are. The beast is empowered by the dragon. Verse 21. For the Lord shall rise up in Mount Perizim he shall be wroth in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now therefore, be ye not mockers, lest your bands be made strong. For I have heard from the Lord of hosts a consumption, even determined upon the whole earth. The consumption upon the whole earth is what Job and each of us must experience. It's better to lose our lives in this age. (coughs) Present our bodies as a living sacrifice, die daily and be crucified to Christ, and have all that behind us in this age. In other words, it's better to die now to our flesh and be in the first resurrection of the dead than to fail to do so now and be in the second death, the resurrection of the dead. Ecclesiastes 7.1 A good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of one's birth. That doesn't make any sense to someone who wants to avoid God's wrath and avoid uh, any pain. Sees no need for it. Matthew 10.39 and and John 12.24 He that finds his life will lose it. He that loses his life for my sake will find it. John 12.24 Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. The way of the cross is good news of the kingdom of God, working within us to destroy our first man, Adam. But this is utter foolishness to our old first man, Adam. It was utter foolishness to Job, the type of us. <clears throat> Job was not restored to God's good graces until he had been granted to repent of thinking, He can make a covenant with death and thereby avoid the consumption which is determined upon the whole earth. Satan's efforts paid off with Job at first as they do with all of us at first. But Christ refused that offer because he knew that a covenant with Satan was worthless. Matthew 4 verses 8 through 11. Again Satan, devil, takes him up into exceeding high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And says to him, All these will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. You know, make a covenant with me. Then said Jesus to him, Get thee hence, Satan, 
For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil leaves him, and behold, angels come and minister to him. Angels came and ministered to him means that this is not an easy trial, even for the Son of God. And we've got to go through the same trial. Satan was offering Satan, Satan was offering Christ a way to avoid the pain of the cross. He couldn't offer Christ life because he has no life to offer. He might postpone death, but death is certain for all flesh, simply because it misses the mark of being a spiritual body where the Spirit of Christ dwells. Is the postponing of death of our old man worth the cost when we end up dying anyway? That's what the scriptures call a a covenant with death, which does nothing more than postpone the inevitable at best and guarantees double the trials in the end. Revelation 18, verse 6. Reward her even as she rewarded you, and double unto her double, according to her works. In the cup she has filled, fill to her double. Well, we all have to go through that, because we all do make that covenant with death. But with God's mercy and grace, some of us will endure all these things now in this life. We've all been warned that we will do so, just like the self-righteous Job. We think we are above denying our Lord. We're even given to be that, if we're given to be that blessed and holy few, then we're granted to repent of doing that in this age. Matthew 26, verses 31 through 35. Then said Jesus to them, this is all of his twelve apostles, at the Lord's Supper, You all shall be offended of me, because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But if I am risen again, after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. Peter answered him and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of you, yet will I never be offended. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto you that this night, before the cock crow, You will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Though I should die with you, yet will I not deny you. Likewise said all the disciples. They all said it. They all had no idea what they were up against. They had no idea that their adversary, the devil, goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And they had no idea that they were being devoured that very night. Whatever is the sin, uh, whatever is the sin in our own night, when we go through that night, we learn that we are no match for the spiritual Leviathan with whom we're contending as spiritual wickedness in our heavens. Here it is again. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We do well to know with whom we're contending and to deal wisely with that adversary, as our Lord did. We're completely out of our league when we are on our own, as the Lord's question continues to demonstrate. Shall the companions make a banquet of him? Shall they part him among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with barbed irons or his head with fish spears? The adversary is beyond any power we might have, even when we're in league with our companions? The answer is that we cannot fill his skin with barbed iron or his uh, head with fish spears. We have no power of Leviathan of ourselves, even in union with our companions. 
verses 8 through 10. Lay your hand on him. Remember the battle. Do no more. Behold, the hope of him is in vain. Shall not one be cast down even at the sight of him? None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? Now here is a lesson for all who believe that that Satan is nothing more than the flesh of mankind. Here's how even the the archangel Michael has to deal with mankind's worst enemy. Jude 1 verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. (coughs) Durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. What God has shown us through Job is the power which he has granted to Satan over the flesh. He has, in effect, given us a type and a shadow of the fact that we cannot even restrain Satan, who has just destroyed Job's children and all of his possessions, and has smitten Job with boils from his head to his feet, and has sent a lying spirit to witness against Job's character. So, who then is able to stand before me? If you can't even stop these things from happening to you, which I have given Leviathan and Behemoth the power to do, why, why are you thinking you can tell me what to do? That's the lesson God has given us through the strength of Leviathan. (coughs) (coughs) Even archangels treat Leviathan with regard for who he is. (coughs) 2 Peter 2.11 Whereas the angels which are greater in power and might bring not regularly an accusation against them before the Lord. (coughs) So let's not be so foolish as to think like Job that we are in a position to instruct Leviathan's maker. We have done that, like Job, so let's get over it. Verse 10, None is so fierce that dare stir him up. Who then is able to stand before me? We're helpless against the flesh over which Leviathan has been given power. While we're helpless of ourselves, we will do well to ask for deeper understanding and greater appreciation of this awesome truth. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Now that is a good note on which to end our study today.